Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. How many of you know where the book of Jonah is? I heard a few of my's out there. <laughs> oh, me. Turn to the book of Jonah, if you would, please. You say, what could we possibly get out of the book of Jonah? Well, there's something in there. Amen? There's something in there for all of us. Bless the Lord. First, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together to study your word. We invite the Holy Ghost to be our teacher and guide, knowing that your word is not just intellectually learned, but it's spiritually perceived. And so, our Heavenly Father, we look to the Holy Ghost to unveil the deep, rich treasures of your word to our hearts and minds, that we may walk as doers thereof and not hearers only. We'll give you all the praise and glory for all that's accomplished and achieved among us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last couple of meetings, we've been talking about emotional wholeness. In other words, obtaining emotional wholeness. Tonight, we want to talk about something that's relating to it. And it's called forgiveness. True emotional freedom comes when we as individuals recognize God's infinite capacity to pardon and forgive. There are many individuals right now in mental institutions because they feel as though they have sinned the unpardonable or unforgivable sin. As a matter of fact, on many occasions, I've been in mental institutions talking to individuals who are there and invariably, they always come up with the fact that they believe that they've committed this unpardonable sin and God will never forgive them. And so they feel they're in danger of hellfire. And as a result, they feel there's no hope for them. But you see, that's a lie of the enemy. Because anybody who is even concerned about their spiritual welfare or well-being has not committed the sin unto death. And in actuality, it's not even called the unpardonable sin. It's really the sin unto death. See, that's what they're thinking that they've committed, but they haven't. But they've been deceived, and they have no emotional freedom because they're being held captive by their own thoughts, really suggestions that came to them from the enemy. Well, I believe God wants us to have peace of mind, don't you? As a matter of fact, I'll give you the Scripture that'll... Set everybody free and provide emotional freedom if only it would be adhered to. Isaiah 26.3 says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Did you hear that? And if we learn to keep our minds on him and trust him, we'd have perfect peace. And that's talking about a state of perfectness or wholeness in every area of our lives. Perfect peace. Peace with God. Peace with man. Peace in our relationships. Peace within ourselves. And with ourselves. So God wants us to have emotional freedoms. But you see it comes when we recognize His infinite capacity to pardon and also to forgive. Now, in the book of Jonah, we don't have time to go through the whole book. It's a short book, I realize that. But for those of you that may not know, Jonah was a prophet of God and God spoke to him and told him to go to the city of Nineveh and talk to them about their ways and preach to them so that they would repent of their wrongdoing and get back, to, you know, get over into where God wants them to be and God would forgive them and have mercy upon them. Well, Jonah rebelled against what God wanted him to do. And you say, well, why did he do that? Well, because you see, Jonah knew something about the character of the people. I mean, these people were horrible, absolutely horrible. I mean, what they did when they captured uh, the, the enemy's soldiers and that sort of thing was absolutely horrendous and hideous. I mean, they'd skin these people. All terrible acts of violence 
and destruction. They were absolutely crazy. And so, of course, Jonah was concerned about his own welfare and well-being, and of course, his people's, his, you know, the people of Israel. And he really didn't want to go down there because, basically, he wanted God to judge them. God said to go down there and tell them within 40 days they would be judged and destroyed because their hearts were wicked. And it was just like in the days of Noah. Their hearts were wicked back then and, and of course, the whole world was destroyed by a flood. We know that. Well, the same thing was true here. These people were in danger of being judged by God and within 40 days they were going to be wiped out. But God didn't really want to do that. He just wanted them to repent. And you see... Jonah knew that and he knew about the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God and how far reaching it really was. And basically he was just concerned, you know, for himself and, and for the people of Israel. He wasn't concerned about other people of the world. He wanted them to be destroyed. He didn't want them to be forgiven. He didn't want God to show them mercy. He just wanted them destroyed. He wanted God to judge them. And so he took off on his own way and did not do what God wanted him to do. And he wound up in the, in the belly of a fish. You know the story. And as a result of being in that dilemma, he finally got, you know, back to his senses, came to his senses and realized that he wasn't going to uh, run away from God and be successful. And so to make a long story short, he came back and talked to the people. He told them what God said that they were to do and they repented and God forgave them and, you know, they began to line themselves up with the things of God. Well, I want you to look at uh, chapter 3 and verse 10. And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them. And he did it not. In other words, he didn't destroy them. He didn't judge them. He didn't destroy them because they repented. But now also I want you to look at chapter 4 and verse 2. Let's start with verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was very angry. He was upset because God had mercy. My goodness. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. What a mighty prophet. My goodness. Can you imagine that? He was upset because God forgave him and said, When I was in my country, I told you, you're going to forgive them and you're going to have mercy upon them. I wanted them to die. Did you ever feel like that? Really don't care about somebody else? Did you ever feel that way? Well, let's read on. In, uh, let's see, verse, well, let's just read right on down there. Verse 4. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. In other words, he was shading himself because of the heat. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah and he that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Well, then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons, that's 120,000 persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? Now, here's the whole thing. 
he said, you had concern or you were caring enough to think about that gourd, really was like a vine, that I prepared for you that you had no part in. It grew up speedily overnight. In other words, supernaturally it grew. And then the worm took its life. Supernaturally it also died. And then the east wind came and he was uh, afflicted because of the heat and all that. He says, now you're all upset over something that you had no power over. And you're upset about this vine, this gourd that I prepared for you because of its life. And yet you're upset with me because I spared the lives of 120,000. Now, as this reads, there's two ways you can look at it. Some scholars say that it could have been 120,000 children plus the rest of the people. So can you imagine how many that would be? Some say it was just 120,000 people. Regardless, it's a large sum of people. Isn't that true? And so what God actually did was He forgave all those people. And rather than destroy all of them, He spared their lives. But yet Jonah was upset. He had more regard for the gourd than he did for human life. He was upset with God to the point of wanting to die because God spared the lives of those people. You see what can happen to us when hearts become hardened? That's what can happen. We can develop a wrong attitude on the inside of us and motivation of heart like Jonah did. Well, God taught him a lesson. He taught him a lesson of his character. And he also taught him that he should have more compassion towards humanity. Isn't that true? Now, you'll recall that Jesus said that eternal life really is all about knowing God the Father and Jesus Christ whom he sent. Isn't that true? Well, then we need to really know God better. And in order to know him better, we have got to understand his character and see how he revealed himself to us through his word. Here we see he reveals himself as one who loves humanity. One who cares for humanity. One who has compassion toward all mankind regardless of their lifestyles. Now he doesn't want them to remain that way. He doesn't want them to be wicked, but he has so much concern and so much compassion for them that he is willing to reach out and give them every opportunity to open up their hearts to his love, mercy, grace, and forgiveness before he has to finally judge them and have them be destroyed. That's the kind of God that he is. Well, if that's the kind of God that he is, and if that's how he has revealed himself, then it stands the reason... Forgiveness and mercy should be a very big part of our lives also. Because since God is love, then he that dwells in love also dwells in God. And if we want to have peace of mind and emotional freedom, then we're going to have to start conducting our lives the same way God has conducted his. And when we line up with that, beloved, can you not see how we'll have that emotional freedom that God wants us to have? You know, besides all this, Jonah himself needed the mercy of God. Jonah himself needed the forgiveness of God. And as long as God was forgiving Jonah, Jonah was happy. As long as God was providing shelter for Jonah, Jonah was happy. But he saw a flaw in God's character when God took that same love, compassion, and forgiveness and applied it to someone else's life, especially the enemy's lives. He didn't like that. See, he was limited in his own thinking as, as to what should be done with regard to mercy and forgiveness. And he didn't like it, and he did not want God to forgive these people. Well, anyone who is like that, beloved, I guarantee you, is going to have emotional instability. They'll never have peace of mind as long as we think that way. And so it's important that we begin to understand our Heavenly Father from this perspective of being a merciful and a forgiving God. I want you to turn with me to the book of Exodus, if you would, please. And let's just for a moment take a look at the forgiveness of God and how far-reaching it really is. Every single one of us needs to be forgiven. I'll tell you something else. Every single one of us can be forgiven. 
It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter how far we've gone into the depths of sin. It doesn't matter how old we are. It doesn't matter how young we are. Every single one of us needs the forgiveness that comes from God. Every single one of us needs the mercy of God to get through this life. In Exodus and 34 and verse 6. If knowing God the Father is what eternal life is all about, then in order for us to be more God-like, more like Him and to know Him better, then we have got to begin to, to look at His character, to look at His heart motives, the way He operates, the way He treats humanity and mankind. And getting a glimpse of that will enable us to see how we need to follow His example and pattern our lives after Him. And the more we do that, then the more we're going to be like Him. The more we do that, then the more we're going to experience His full blessings. Now, in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, it says, And the Lord passed by before Him and proclaimed. Now, the hymn that this is referring to, of course, is Moses. Moses was a man who really sought to know God. His earnest, heartfelt desire was to know Him. He wanted to see His glory. He wanted to be close to Him, as close as He possibly could be to Him. And so He did everything He possibly could to please God and reach out to know God. And here is a time when God came to him and began to share some things about His character with Moses. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and Gracious. In other words, he is compassionate. A compassionate God who is long-suffering. And long-suffering simply means he is slow to anger. He is long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. He keeps mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Here he begins to reveal some of his character. And a big part of that is his mercy, his long-suffering, and his truth. Also, his willingness and capacity to forgive those who have wronged him. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. But on the other hand, it goes on to say, and that will by no means clear the guilty. In other words, he is also a God of justice and judgment. He will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. Now, in other words, he is a God who is willing to forgive all those who repent. But also, if people refuse His goodness and refuse His forgiveness, then what a man sows, he also reaps. He is also responsible, because he is a God of truth, to allow that person who forsakes the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God to experience the curse that goes along with rebelling against God. I want you to notice that it talks about that if a person is not willing to receive God's forgiveness and walk in the light of His truth, then God's going to hold that person accountable and the results of it all could pass upon their, that person's children from one generation to the next under the fourth generation. Now, I want to explain that because I think in some cases there's confusion along this line. God is not holding the children to be morally responsible for the decisions that their parents make or have made. It is not the passing down of the moral sin to the child under the fourth generation. What he's actually doing is warning the parents that your sin can affect your children. And if you continue to live in your sin, then your child can be affected by your sin emotionally and also physically. In other words, the emotional and physical results can be devastating 
upon your children under the fourth generation as a result of your sin. For an example, sexually transmitted diseases can be passed on from parent to child. As a result of the wrongdoing of the parents, we understand that that disease can be passed on to the children while in the womb. That is the physical result of the sin of the parents. And we can say that with all kinds of other things, with drugs and alcohol and that sort of thing. The children can be affected physically because of the sin of the parents. And as a result, the physical and emotional effects can be passed on from one generation to the next, even under the fourth generation. Of course, anywhere along the line, the children who recognize or realize that their lives have been affected as a result of their parents' sin can go to God and put an end to the curse right then and there, as far as their lives are concerned. But God is trying to, to, to reveal to people that it's His desire that people come and accept and receive His mercy and forgiveness so as to put a stop to the effects and the results of sin. And He is so loving and so caring, He'll reach out as far as He possibly can to see to it that anyone and everyone who comes to Him will be forgiven. Now, beloved... If you recall correctly, this here comes on the heels of everything that is revealed to us in Exodus 32 where it talks about how the children of Israel sinned against God and God was so angry with them. He wanted to wipe them off the face of the earth and would have done so if it were not for Moses who interceded for them and then God stayed His hand of judgment. Right there on the mount where they received the commandments right below on the bottom, there they were sinning putting together an image that they bowed down and worshipped as God, and God was so upset and so frustrated because of their gross sin. I mean, everything that you can think of they were doing, it was all wrong in the sight of God. After they saw many miracles that God had done for them, they rebelled against their God and to the lowest depths of sin. But yet God again reached out full of love, mercy, and compassion and still touched the lives of these people and said, Look, I still will be this kind of a God to you. I don't know about you, beloved, but humanity has not changed over the years. I know that for a fact. We all need the forgiveness that comes to us from God. And without it, we have nothing. You talk about destruction. Every single one of us would be destroyed. God has revealed to us a level of commitment to forgive, I believe, that goes beyond our understanding. He forgave those Ninevites and many others of all their evil deeds and wrongdoings when they demonstrated a true heart of repentance and revealed right here in His Word that He would continue to keep mercy for thousands and forgive iniquity, transgression, and sin if they would just come to Him. I want you to turn with me to Jeremiah also, chapter 31. When a person knows that God has forgiven him of his or her sin, that person is in a, in a perfect position to obtain emotional freedom. I recall the day that I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord. When He came into my heart, I know He washed me from my sins in His own blood. And beloved, I really firmly believe that the joy unspeakable, full of glory that we have is the reality of our hearts being made right with God by the forgiveness of our sins and the remission thereof. Amen. What about you? Amen. You take a sin-sick soul, you wash it in the blood of Jesus Christ, there is something that happens inside that person that gives him or her a joy unspeakable full of glory. And a merry heart produces a cheerful countenance. It's like the weight of the world and the universe was lifted off of you when that blood made you everyone whole. Isn't that true? Absolutely. Well, back then, he revealed himself to be a God who would forgive. 
and have mercy upon even the vilest sinner. In Jeremiah in chapter 31, let's take a look at verse 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, under the old covenant, their sins could be covered. He would forgive them of their sins, but their sins would be covered, and there would still be a remembrance. Everybody say remembrance of their sins from year to year. So, in other words, God was limited as to what He could actually do with their sin because the sacrifice of Christ was not made as of yet. Well, God wasn't satisfied with just forgiving their sins because they also still had the memory of their sin, the memory of their shortcoming, their memory of their faults, their failures, their lack, their wants and needs before God. Their being inferiority, having a a poor self-image, inferior to God, and all that. They had a remembrance of that. They constantly were reminded of just how far they had fallen from the presence of the Most High God. Well, God was still working on the behalf of all mankind. God is not against man. God is for man. God is not against you. God is for you. What have you done to displease God? I want you to know something. The more you do to displease God, I believe the stronger He reaches out to you by His Spirit. The more He sets people across your path to get you to come back into fellowship with Himself. That's how much He loves us. That's how much He cares for us. So He's going to make a new covenant. Not according, verse 32, to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. I like that expression, don't you? Nowhere do we see God taking them by the hand to get them out of Egypt. But here God says, I took them by the hand. It was like He reached right on out to the people and said, come on, let's go. I'm taking you by the hand. I'm leading you into victory. Which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts. Not upon tables of stone, but in their inward parts. I will write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. And isn't that true of every one of us who is born again? I mean, don't you say, I know the Lord. I know the Lord. Do you know the Lord? You're born again. You know Him. I will be their God. They shall be my people. They're not going to have to teach everybody. They're going to know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will... Forgive their iniquity. Now that he did back then. But I look at the latter part of this. And I will remember their sin no more. Did you get that? He wasn't satisfied. He wanted to get to a place where he could actually remit our sin. In other words, it's not covered. It's absolutely wiped out completely. It no longer exists in the mind of God. Have you thought about some of your past failures and mistakes that you've made in life up to this day? Even as close as yesterday or even before you walked in these doors tonight? I want you to know something. What he's telling us right here is... That if we just said at one time, Father, forgive me for what I did and cleanse me by the blood of Christ. Whatever it was that you did at that moment in time no longer exists in the mind of God. It is absolutely, totally wiped out forever and ever. And if you were to go to God 
and say, but yesterday, he'd say, I have no idea what you're talking about. You remember, Lord, when I... He said, son, did you ask me to forgive you? Daughter, did you ask me to forgive you? Yes, I did, Father. Well, then I don't know what you're talking about. Because it's not on my mind anymore. I don't remember it any longer. It's gone. Got a brand new start. Remitted. Wiped out forever. Don't you like that? Oh, thank God. Thank God. Hallelujah. That's the kind of God that He is. I'll remember their sin no more. Well, beloved, if God doesn't remember our sin anymore, why do we? We've got somebody to remind us. I want you to turn me to 1 John, if you would, please. Now, this is the New Testament in 1 John. I want you to see what God thinks of us right now. See, we have an enemy that wants to constantly remind us of yesterday's failures. Did you know that? Always to come along and tell you about your shortcomings and your faults. And how you've displeased the Father or whatnot, whatever it is. He knows we have a problem up here. He knows the way to discourage the heart is through the mind. He knows if He can just play tricks with our minds, He can hold us in fearful bondage. Or imprison us with guilt and condemnation. See? But I want you to notice in the book of 1 John chapter 1, beginning at verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son cleanseth us from all sin. In other words, in the mind of God, men do not have to walk in the darkness of ignorance or sin any longer. We have come to the light. Jesus is the light of the world. And we no longer have to grope about in darkness wondering what we can do to please God. We've got His Word, we've got the revelation of His Son, we have His commandment of love, and we know now that we can walk in the light of truth. We don't have to walk in darkness, we can walk in the light of love. As a result, we have fellowship with the Father God Himself. Now, I don't know how much better He could make this, but this is the truth. As long as you are walking in fellowship with God... Anything and everything that you do without realizing that it displeases God is automatically remitted by the blood of Jesus Christ. Glory to God. Did you hear that? If that doesn't excite you, something is the matter with your exciter. That means you have perfect communion and fellowship with God the Father right now, even though you're in human form. Because the blood, the blood of Jesus Christ is cleansing you from anything and everything that would separate you from God, as long as you're walking in the light. Now, there are those that have not come to the light and they're in the darkness of their sin. But they don't have to be. If they come to the light of the world, Jesus Christ, He'll remit their sins. And they'll have a brand new slate. Now, if someone says, look at the next verse. If we say that we have no sin, and yet we're walking in sin. In other words, we're walking in darkness. We're conducting ourselves improperly before God. If we say that we have no sin while we're doing that, then the Bible tells us, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Those that are out there in the world who believe they have no need for the forgiveness of sins, of the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Christ are walking in deception right now. You know that as well as I do. They are deceived and deluded into thinking 
that they're going to make heaven their home without ever coming to the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's just not going to happen. That's deception. God made a provision for us. His name is Jesus Christ. Apart from His blood, there is no remission of sins. But those who also walk in darkness, even after having come to Christ, are also deluded if they think they can live a lifestyle that's displeasing to God and still say, but I'm a Christian, that's okay, everything's okay with my soul. No, the Apostle Paul said in the book of Galatians and also to the church at Corinth that those who do such things have no part in the kingdom of God. Isn't that true? So in other words, no one has to walk in darkness and no matter what we've done, all we've got to do in verse 9 is confess our sins. So in other words, God has made a provision for us. Even if we have done wrong, He says right here, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I like that word all, don't you? Anything and everything that we have ever done that would displease God, we have been forgiven of. And it's all cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That should produce peace of mind in every single one of our lives. That should produce emotional freedom in every single one of our lives. I'm striving to please God first. And as a result of that, I've got peace of mind because I have peace with God. And all is well with my soul. That's the first part of emotional freedom right there. Are you right with God tonight? And if you are right with God tonight, praise God, you'll have the beginning of emotional freedom in your life. I want you to look at something with me, if you would please, with regard to forgiveness and prayer. Look at Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. Every one of us knows that God wants to meet all of our needs. And every one of us knows that all we've got to do is pray the prayer of faith. And in so doing, we can receive the things that we need from God to be successful and victorious in this life. Now, it takes faith in order to receive from God and have our prayers answered. And in Mark eleven twenty four, we read, Therefore I say unto you what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. But, as we read on, we also discover that it takes more than faith to receive from God. It also takes a forgiving spirit. God wants us to recognize that He has forgiven us of everything we have ever done to displease Him. He has wiped out everything in our lives that came to us by way of Adam. We no longer are in spiritual death. And anything we've ever done up until this point in our lives that has displeased Him, if we've asked Him to forgive us, it's forgiven, it's remitted, and God doesn't even have a record of it. I know we can't go by these things, but you know, sometimes it's nice just hearing these things. But someone had died. You ever hear of those experiences where someone died and then they went up into heaven and then, and then they came back and told some things about it? Well, many have done that. And on this one, this one particular person who had that experience saw a record of what God was, that God was keeping in this person's life. And as he was going through the book, he discovered only good things recorded about this person's life. And finally he said, Now, Lord, I know there had to be some bad things that were done, but I see no record of those bad things. And the father said, Son, all those things are under the blood of Jesus Christ, and there is no record of anything that was done that was wrong or displeasing. If that doesn't make a shout, Thank God for the blood. No record whatsoever of anything that was ever done. It's all wiped out. Only the good things are recorded here in glory. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God. Well, he goes on to say here, and when you stand praying, you want God to meet your need, you need faith. But when you stand praying, forgive if you have ought against any. 
that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now, what he is saying is this. He wants us to have the same kind of heart that he has. If we want to have the same kind of faith, then we have got to have the same kind of forgiving spirit. Doesn't it say have the faith of God? Absolutely. Well, we have the faith of God by believing in our heart and saying with our mouth. But we also have to remember that the heart is also connected with God. We've got to have the same heart of God. For faith works by love. Unforgiveness will make null and void our faith. Therefore, what he is saying is that we've got to also maintain a forgiving spirit if we expect to receive our needs met from God. He wants us also to develop the kind of forgiveness that He demonstrates towards every single one of us. Well, if you don't believe that, look at, chapter, or look at Luke 17. In Luke 17, we read in verse 3, Take heed to yourselves. In other words, protect yourself. From what, Lord? If thy brother trespass against thee... Everybody likes those next two words. Rebuke him. And if he repent... Rebuke him. What's it say? Oh, now, Lord... And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And if you put scriptures together and really, really conclude the truth of what Jesus was saying, he was saying, if someone sins against you or offends you 490 times in a day, forgive them, if they repent. Dear Lord, 490 times in one day, and they repent, we are to forgive. Rebuke and let them know that you've wronged me, but second, forgive them if they repent. In other words, God is saying, I want you to completely rid your heart of any animosity whatsoever. Any ill feeling toward anyone. I want you to rid your spirit of anything that would interfere with your relationship with me. Beloved, we have to ask ourselves this question. How much have we adhered to that particular principle from God's Word? See, if we want to have the, the heart of God, then we have got to understand how His heart works. If he can forgive all those horrible people out there because of all the things they've done wrong, all the vile sins and all that, if he can forgive them of all their sins. See, that's how Jonah was seeing it. No, beloved, he forgave all these people in here. Can you see that? If He can forgive all of us in here, all of our sins, and all that we've done to displease Him, then how much more should we forgive all those people out there that we come into contact with on a daily basis? If we want to have growth in our lives spiritually, we have got to see to it, beloved, that we protect our hearts from any offenses that could come against us in this life. And that we do not allow unforgiveness or any kind of animosity to have any place in our spiritual conditions whatsoever. Look at Ephesians 4.32 in connection with the same thought. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says, well, let's start with 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Notice the word all. All bitterness 
all wrath, all anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. God expects us to forgive others the same way He has forgiven us. God has forgiven us, beloved, totally, completely, with no remembrance of any wrongdoing. That's how He has forgiven us. Jonah loved it when God demonstrated His loving kindness and mercy toward him, did he not? He was so thankful. He was so grateful. He appreciated God so much. But when it came time for the same kind of mercy to be demonstrated towards others, especially enemies, God, I mean, then Jonah was upset and angered. His heart was wrong. God didn't like it. I pray he learned the lesson when God showed him that you've got to have compassion even for your enemies. Beloved, how, how, how big is your heart going to get in God? Only as big as you allow love to fill every chamber. God wants us to begin to reach out and love humanity as He loves humanity and to forgive as He has forgiven us and especially forgive each other with tender-hearted compassion and to put it all in the sea of forgetfulness and remember it no more. And we can only do that by faith. Regardless, God has not put a limit on His forgiveness towards us. We are not to put a limit on our forgiveness towards others. I believe we should stop and pause and meditate right there for a moment. God has not put a limit on His forgiveness towards us. We are not at all to put a limit on our forgiveness towards others. We are to love and forgive as He has loved and forgave us. We've got to have insight into that, beloved. Because in the world in which we live, we're wronged almost on a daily basis. There are going to be offenses come to us in this world from all kinds of different directions. God wants us to see to it that we love and forgive as He has loved and forgiven us in Christ. Now, hold that thought. I want you to see another verse of Scripture that is so important. As well as forgiving others, God also wants us to forgive ourselves for the things that we have done to displease our Father. You know, sometimes people have no problem forgiving others, but they have a big problem forgiving themselves. And little do they know it, but as a result of their not forgiving themselves, they have emotional instability. As a matter of fact, some are so overwhelmed because of a poor self-image, their inability to see themselves in the image of God, that it can be a cause for a nervous breakdown and emotional distress. We have got to learn to forgive ourselves as well as forgive others. If God has forgiven us, then I should be able to forgive myself. God, in other words, knows we're not perfect and has therefore made provisions for our imperfections in the person of Jesus Christ and His shed blood. Well, if God already knew that we would fall short of His mark and we would sin to the extent that He would make provisions for it, then we must recognize the fact we are never going to be able to please God in the flesh. And that receiving forgiveness from God would be a vital part of our relationship with Him. Well, if that's the case, then instead of being destroyed because we have missed the mark, by not forgiving ourselves, we have got to rise up to a place that we say, God knows my frame. I'm asking Him to forgive me in Jesus' name and by His blood. 
And now I choose to forgive myself and let go of the thing once and for all. In Psalm 103, I like this verse of Scripture. I pray it will become one of your favorites. Verse 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins. The devil wants us to think that God is judging us because of our inabilities or because of our imperfections. But God is telling us right here, He's not dealing with us after our sins. He's not rewarding us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is higher above the earth, high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. Did you see how high His mercy is? As high as the heaven is above the earth. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed my transgressions from me. You can say it like that. And the east never meets the west. That's how far He has removed our transgressions from us. He never remembers our sins against us. He is always reaching out to offer us pardon. All He is waiting for us to do is say, Father, I have sinned. Forgive me. And so we are to forgive ourselves so as to maintain a heart that is after God. Turn with me, if you would, please, to our final text. And that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. Every single one of us is reminded of our past. You know as well as I do that the enemy keeps a pretty good record of the things that we've done wrong. Have you ever noticed that? And it's a constant reminder to us of our human frailties and imperfections. Well, beloved, God wants us to know exactly where we stand. He also wants us to know that there will be those that will come against us to try to talk us out of our forgiveness or being forgiven from God. We need to learn in our own lives that we have got to accept God's forgiveness. And whether or not others forgive us, what's most important is whether or not God forgives us and we forgive ourselves. We have no control over others. All we can do is ask their forgiveness and then the rest of it is left up to them. As far as God is concerned, He's made it clear He will forgive us if we go to Him with a true heart of repentance. As far as we are concerned, we have to make a decision to forgive ourselves and see ourselves through the eyes of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to look at verse 9 in a minute here. How many of you recall the story of the woman who was taken in adultery? When she was brought before Jesus, the enemies were not in any way concerned about whether or not that woman was going to be helped spiritually. They did not have her spiritual interest at heart. They weren't even concerned about anything other than whether or not they could catch Jesus in a lie. Or to speak out evil against the Jewish law or the Roman law. They weren't concerned about whether or not Jesus would even forgive her. They weren't asking Jesus to forgive the woman. They just brought her there because she had done wrong and they wanted to catch Jesus because, you see, if He would have said to let her go, then He would have gone against Jewish law that said she should be stoned to death. But if He would have said enforce Jewish law, then Roman law did not permit them to execute capital punishment at that time. He would have gone against Roman law, so he was in a, between a rock and a hard place, because no matter what he said in their minds, 
They had them. He says, carry out the Jewish law. He would have violated the Roman law. He would have said, don't. Then you violate Jewish law. So Jesus, of course, was the one who wrote the law anyhow. Right? And they didn't know it. So he had a perfect answer. Those of you who have not sinned, throw the first stone. Go ahead, throw the first stone. And they were all silenced. And all began to walk away one by one. What wisdom Jesus displayed and demonstrated at that time. And finally, when they were all gone, what did he say to the woman? What are your accusers? They've all gone, Lord. Where are those that condemn thee? They're all gone. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Go your way, he said, but sin no more. Now, Jesus was not making light of the sin that she had committed at all. He was just demonstrating the fact that God wants to forgive. And God's will is to touch and help people in this life. He didn't come to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And so He magnified God's willingness to forgive humanity not to condemn humanity. And beloved, that's one of my biggest things when I go into places where I hear people preaching hellfire and brimstone and condemning everybody to hell. What gets people saved is the goodness of God. Now there is a hell to shun. And if people want to go there, they're entitled to. You don't even need to purchase a ticket. At all. All you've got to do is nothing. If you want to escape it, there's only one way. His name is Jesus Christ. And you've got to come to Him because He made provisions for your escape. And that's the bottom line right there. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we've got to accept the fact that there was a time when we were sinners, but that time is long past. And no one has a right to bring up our past and destroy us with it, emotionally or spiritually. In 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9, it says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators. If you're a Christian, don't fornicate. Idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind. There are those that say it's okay to be a homosexual and be a Christian. They're going to be in for a rude awakening someday. Paul was writing to a church that was ranked high among the most wicked cities in the ancient world. Prostitutes were all around the temple. I mean, thousands of prostitutes were always there at the temple site. And what they did was they waited to serve the men who sought union with the goddess Aphrodite. Of course, she was the, the goddess of fertility. And so she would, they would accommodate the men and they would think that they were going to, you know, have union with this goddess as a result of that kind of immorality. And this is what they came out of. And I'm sure this is what they were reminded of constantly. But Paul, by the Spirit, says, Look, those of you who have been born again, you were those things in the past. Let's read on. Verse 10, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you are washed. Say with me, I'm washed. I'm Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. 
And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.